Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Are you struggling to get paid, to get a job, to get money? Are you drifting along, waiting to find your passion or to play full out? And do you think you'd have to abandon whatever safety you've got in order to do what you really want to do? Drugs, alcohol, failure, waterboarding, psychological warfare. Author, speaker, and coach Steve Chandler is here to tell us that if he could start from nothing and become insanely successful, then you can too. If you get easily rattled, you may want to sit this one out. Welcome to The New Man. Today we're talking with Steve Chandler. He's a personal success coach, business consultant, and public speaker. He's also the author of over 30 books. Steve, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Trip. Thanks for having me. I've been reading your stuff and following your stuff. Uh, Wealth Warrior it has been really powerful. And also, you know, as a coach, I've been enjoying your work with Rich Litvin and uh, the Prosperous Coach. Thank and there's, there's, a, there's a theme in there about, you know, it's really about the service and giving versus getting. But the, a lot of the guys that I talk to and a lot of the guys that are listening to The New Man are in this place where they're struggling to find success. They're struggling to earn good money. And they're struggling to, to do something that would have, you know, that they feel good about doing. And, and so the cost is that they end up feeling like crap. They're drained. And even, even yeah. underneath that, as they start to tell this story about themselves, that they're a failure. Um, and this affects their confidence and it, it affects every area of their life, their relationships, especially. So you weren't always the guy that people turned to when they wanted to do something extraordinary in their life or their business or their world. Where, where did you start? Tell us a bit about that. Well, you know, that's a profound understatement. I was the last guy anyone would ever turn to <laughs> if they had success in mind. Uh, I failed at everything, and for many, many years, really deep into my 40s, I failed at everything I touched. And, you know, it was really pretty profound. It was everything. It was school. It was military. It was um, anything you could name. And I just had a basic inner rebellion going on where I didn't feel much like doing anything and nothing really lit me up. You know, you said there are a lot of guys out there who are struggling and trying to find something they love. Well, and then feeling like failure, that was, that was most of my life feeling that way. 
And so it took me a while to turn that around. But once I turned it around, it happened overnight. So it really didn't take me a while to turn it around, but it took me a while to see, I'll put it that way. It took me a while to see that I could turn it around and I could turn it around quickly. Well, let's talk about a bit about where you were. I want to get more of the mindset that you were in at that time. So how were you approaching life from, you know, in, in things that came to you or things that didn't go your way? What were some of the things you were saying in your mind between the ears? Well, it was basically looking back, it was basically kind of a rebellion. I was on strike against life. I didn't want to participate in things other people did. I didn't want to do the things grown-ups did. And so half of it was just rebellion, you know, not wanting to. And the other half was a secret fear that I would never figure out how to. You know the old story of um, everybody else got an instruction book on how life works, and they didn't give me mine. Okay. And, and that was my mindset. That was my feeling on the inside was that um, not only do I not want to do much of anything, but I, I probably couldn't do it if I tried. So... That was hard. That was a hard place to come from because people would ask, well, what kind of job would you love to do? And what what would be your dream? And what's your passion? And I didn't have any. You know, I, it wasn't that I was uh, clinically depressed or anything like that. I just couldn't think of anything. People would say, well, what would you really love to do? If you could just do anything. And I would just say, probably just sit here. That would be it. <laughs> I'm already doing it. So see, see you later. Wow. So, you know, that was it. Okay. And so tell me a little bit, how did you, you, you know, because I heard you say it was overnight, but I don't, I don't quite buy that. So what was, what was the thing that had you go from that mindset to suddenly starting to see that there was another way? Yeah, I'm glad you're not buying it. And I recommend you not buy anything I say today, because that'll really uh, keep you in, <laughs> keep you grounded. Okay. Um, so it spiraled down, and I got into real trouble with alcohol and drugs, and mm. that that now became the new problem in mm-hmm. life. How was I going to deal with that? So when I went through recovery from that, it was it was exciting to recover. You know, it's like you make a horrible mess of your life, and then and then you're excited that you're going to get out of the mess and get back to normal again. And, and, you know, I, I'm always amused at all these people who go on talk shows and everyone gives them a standing ovation because they're not falling down drunk anymore. And uh, so that was kind of where I was. I was back to normal. But I didn't have any guideline on what do I do from here. But what was exciting to me was um, if I can change the fundamental thing about me, which was I'm drunk all the time, if I can change that, I can, do, I can do anything. I mean, I can create anything. So it did kind of happen overnight. Okay. And then somebody, right in the middle of that recovery, somebody gave me a copy of Think and Grow Rich, which is, you know, real old school, rah-rah, you-can-do-it kind of motivational stuff. But it just hit me at the right place at the right time. And it had the message that your mind is yours, nobody else's and you can create what you want with your mind it's a biological computer it is designed to get you what you want hmm. and, and when I realized that that was that overnight thing I had it was like wow and so I can start all over I can start from zero 
and that was it. And then, then I was just on fire. I mean, I, I just, I went from one book to another, from one mentor to another. And uh, it was exciting from that point on. And you, so you went from this place of, well, this is just it. I'm stuck, and this is this is the program, and it keeps repeating itself. To wait a second, I I can change this. I, I I've got control yeah. here. I've got some power. And then then it sounds like your curiosity kicked in. What else can I learn? What else right. is available? That was it exactly. And it was like the, all the old victim stories, like, oh, I'm a victim of this, and both my parents were alcoholics, so you know that makes me adult child of an alcoholic and then I didn't get these breaks. I didn't have that circumstance break my way. Well, all that went away. It was like, okay, but that's in the past, right? And the past is over, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, what do you want to create? What do you want to do now? Yeah, exactly. And when I saw that you could drop the past and create from the future, and I later heard this from Werner Earhart, but, but I'm going to claim that it occurred to me first and that, and that he stole it from me. <laughs> and that is, um, the future can be created from the future. It doesn't have to be created from the past, but 99% of the guys you meet and I meet, they're trying to create their future from their past. In other words, they're picking up their past like real thick lenses and they're putting them in front of their eyes and now trying to create a future by looking through the past. Even companies do this. This is how I've always done it. This is how we just continue to do it. Yeah. That kind of thing? That kind of thing. Like, okay, here's what we did last year, and we want 12% incremental growth in these markets. And so they're taking the past and putting it up on the whiteboard, and they're just improving it a little tiny bit. Well, individuals do this too. Here's what I did last year. Here's what I did the year before. And so I want a little more of this and a little less of that. And so they don't really have a future. No wonder they're depressed. Mm. They have a warmed over past or a slightly touched up photoshopped past. You ask them about the future, it's a photoshopped past, but just barely photoshopped. Mm -hmm. Not radical, you know, like Meg Ryan. <laughs> well, if they don't like where they've been and they don't like where they are, then sure as shit not going to be excited about where they're going. Well, that's right. That's it. That's the problem with it. That's the Groundhog Day deal. That's mm. it. It's like, here, here it comes again another year. So 2014, it's going to be like 2013 with a, a little change here and there. Mm. And so what is it, a lack of imagination? What, what's, what's, the, what's the little linchpin there that keeps us well, putting those lenses on every day? It's a lack of understanding. That's all it is. So it's like, you know, years ago, not too many years ago, if you said the word Google, Google it, people wouldn't have any idea what you meant. Mm. But today you say it and anyone will know what you mean and they'll go do it. Mm -hmm. So the difference isn't we're, we're more, uh, we have better willpower now. It's just we have more understanding. Well, the brain is a biological computer. And so what happens to people is they have, they don't understand how to use it. It isn't that they don't have willpower or character or inner strength or anything like that. That's not the problem. They think that's the problem, but that's not the problem. The problem is they have stopped somewhere along the way in their understanding of how this thing works and they mm -hmm. just don't get it. They don't see it. 
And where does the where does the idea of the competing commitment come in? That there's because I talk to some guys and they're like, you know, I I I just can't commit to this and I just can't commit to that. I'm just a commitment phobe, and I'm like, you're just actually committed to something else, like staying on yeah. your ass playing video games. So what describe right, right. to me the the competing commitment in here? Yeah, so the best work on that uh, has been done by Robert Keegan, who's a really incredible psychologist and research scientist and. He has done work on our immunity to change. Why do we have such an immunity to change? Why do people have an intention to do something and then not do it? Why does that happen? You have an intention to do something. I'm going to make twice as much money. I'm going to find a good job. I'm going to lose 40 pounds. And then you don't do it. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And what's going on is inside of you, there is a competing commitment to your intention. And the competing commitment is stronger than your intention. And it's actually healthy. It's, it's in there to keep you safe. So like um, if you step out in the street and a truck is coming and you jump, you feel the fear and then you jump back, that fear system in you is, is designed to keep you safe. And it helps you survive. And it's a good thing. It's healthy. Yeah, it's better than your. It's more more powerful than your intention to get across the street at that time. So it's safe. Yes, your butt. it is. Yeah, it is. that's perfect. That's a per- thank you for saying that. I'm going to start saying that now. That's it. <laughs> that's true. So it's more powerful than your intention of crossing the street. Exactly. Well, let's say you're in sales. You're a guy who's in sales, and you don't like to cold call, and you have what uh, the sales trainers call call reluctance. You don't like to cold call. You don't like to prospect. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something in you that, that has that feel unsafe to you. It feels somehow like that's kind of a threat to your well-being to talk to strangers and to try to get them to buy something. That doesn't feel right mm-hmm. on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, you procrastinate and you, you don't do a good job doing it. Because this competing commitment keeps holding you back from it. But you say there's something wrong with you. Here's the biggest problem. People think, well, there must be something wrong with me. I must be a procrastinator. Or I must be bad with people. I'm broken. I need to be fixed. Yeah. But that's not true. There's nothing wrong with you. That's part of the understanding that isn't there. There's nothing wrong with you. You just don't understand what you're doing. And so how do we turn that around? It, it, so now that I got a better understanding and now that I, that I get that, okay, I've got this competing commitment and it's trying to help me stay safe. This is what I know, my little comfort zone here. Is, is it just as simple as identifying, okay, given that I want to stay safe and I want to cross the road, what's the next step? How can I do that? How can I cross the road and stay safe? It's a matter now of, all right, I'm going to step back and, and I'm going to take a look at where there might be a a crossing bridge mm-hmm. and I see a crossing bridge over this freeway. So now I'm going to go walk over the crossing bridge. That way I get across the road and I don't get hit by a truck. And so my competing commitment is now in alignment with my intention. So for me, when I was afraid of sales, afraid of cold calling, afraid of people, afraid of communication, I had to figure out a way where it was safe to do it. Mm. In a funny way, I had to kind of trick my mind into doing it. And I had a great coach, and he, 
he said, we're going to call it selling without selling. So you don't like selling. Selling doesn't feel safe to your well-being. So we're going to sell without selling. And that sounded great to me. And then we came up with ways to do that. There are always ways to do that. Just got to get creative. But I like how you, you bring both of them yeah. in there. I like what you said about having them in alignment because I, this is where, you know, I think of Jonathan Heights, uh, the elephant and the rider. It's like, how do you get the elephant on board to go where the elephant or the rider wants to go? Because the rider can only beat that elephant so much. But once you get that elephant on board, man, it's so much easier to, to go where you want to go instead of uh, this, this push and pull and, and constant struggle. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's true. Okay. Well, let's go back a bit because, you know, we're talking to the guy that is out there and he's feeling like crap. He feels like a failure. He, he, he's getting low confidence in there. Um, and so he's got this mindset that I've got to get a job or I've got to get a better resume or I've got to get this guy to think I'm, I'm worthwhile. He's in this kind of getting mindset. What I've gotten from your work in, in, is just this real sense of bringing value and service and not holding that back. And it seems like that's where things are just kind of falling apart for this guy. He's, he's in the job of trying to sell something or convince somebody instead of actually finding a way to serve or bring something to the table. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. You got it. So it's like, rather than how do I manipulate this person, how do I persuade this person, I want to stay in the inquiry of how do I help this person? How do I make a contribution to this person's life? Even inside a company, it's like, let's say I have a boss I don't much care for. Well, my personal feelings about my boss are not relevant to what I really want in life, which is to make good money, to be promoted, maybe even find a better job somewhere else. Now, if I stay true to what I want, I'll drop those personal feelings and I'll realize that it serves me to serve him. And I'm not being fake about it. I'm just saying, how can I serve you today? What can I take off your plate? What is it that I can help you with? And, and so when I'm in service, and you'll notice this, anytime you're really helping somebody, you're never depressed. You're never upset. You're never annoyed or worried. You're always engaged. And by staying engaged throughout my day, all of a sudden I get promoted or all of a sudden somebody comes along from another company and says, hey, I want that guy. Anyone who would serve at that level, at that small position, I want him in a larger position. So the key to service is it unlocks your creativity. Now, the reason people don't do it is they're worried about whether the person deserves it or not. So they're playing this, like this junior high school level emotional game all day of trying to figure out who deserves um, my good treatment. Who's treated me well? Who do I like? Who do I trust? And if you really understand the mind and the brain, that's a complete waste of time. That's, that's the worst use of time management in the world is trying to figure out who to trust and who should I be good to and who should I serve? Serve everybody. Mm. It's easier. Well, I'm just imagining my experience of the guy, right? So on one hand, he's withholding that or he's sizing me up to see if I'm worthy or whatever, like doing that, the junior high school thing. And so my experience of him is his wariness or his, there's this something kind of cloaked and he's working behind the scenes. Yeah. And on the other hand is 
if he's bringing it and asking me questions, hey, what's your biggest challenge? Maybe there's, who can I introduce you to? Is there something I can help you do? Now I get this sense of like, wow, this guy's a contributor. He's a good guy to have yeah. in the room. He's going to help us do something and move things forward. So I get a completely yeah. different uh, experience of those guys. And, and I experience this, you know, just people that want to be on the new man. I get the guy that's like, here's why I'm so great. You should have me on your show. And it's like, okay. And then there's the guy that's like, yeah. hey, this is what I found that really helps men. Uh, here's yep. a, here's some other things that help men. It's like, wow, thank you. That's exactly what we're looking for. So I I I really appreciate this, and I, and I also appreciate the second part of this, which is where we feel more engaged or more present. We also just get our head out of our ass, and it, it just it's more enjoyable because we're not so focused on ourselves. You're right. You're right. That's the whole problem. Now the biological computer jams up when it circles back and focuses on itself. It gets all jammed up. Mm-hmm. But when it's pointed outward, when it's focused on who can I help, what kind of a difference can I make elsewhere? How can I help someone else? When it's focused out there, now it's flying high and it's using all of its imagination. It's using all of its creativity and it's really sailing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where we want to be if we want to make money and we want to really have a great life and career out in society. We don't want to be in that curled up, introspective, self-pitying, self-obsessed, emotional, emotionally repressed, you know, like I'm, a, I'm 12 years old emotionally going through every day. I'm feeling a little down and somebody didn't return my email and I'm feeling uh, disrespected. <laughs> and these people go through the day with, like with an anal thermometer in them, and they're checking their emotional temperature every 10 minutes to figure out what to do next. <laughs> I don't feel like doing that. Let me check my temperature. I don't feel like doing this. <laughs> now, I only called it an anal thermometer because of your earlier imagery about getting our heads out of our ass. You're a victim. You're a victim. I got it. I, yeah. I pushed you into that. I, I take total responsibility for right. that. Well, um, <laughs> I take no responsibility for anything I say. <laughs> well, it also helps me, you know, I can imagine for the guy out there that's like, you know, I'm trying to get a job and I'm, you know, when I talk to a guy, hey, what do you have for me versus how can I show up and just start to make myself indispensable? How can I, I they, there wasn't exactly. even a job to begin with, but they go and find one for me because I've figured out a way to bring value, to bring something to the, to this guy or this organization that I'm trying to help. So, um, absolutely. All right. I, I just love that. Well, what's the, because I, you know, this is where we could start to get into ass kissing. So what's the difference between pleasing somebody and really helping them or serving them? Well, you, you know, right away when someone's sucking up to you and trying to impress you and trying to please you and win you over, you, you can feel that. And that's a creepy feeling. And that, that doesn't feel like you're being served. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like you're really being helped in any way you can really feel that that person wants to be noticed and that person wants to be appreciated. But if the person jumps in and really helps you, really jumps in and helps you, um, it feels completely different. Mm. And so um, I don't want to look around for who I can suck up to and win over and please and all that stuff. That's why there's so much tension these days given to how to get noticed and how do I improve my personal branding and how do I get my name out there and all that is if that's all you have to do for people to send money your way. And people who do that all day long really aren't serving anybody. 
Yeah, they're not actually making a difference in somebody else's life. They're just still focused on themselves. That's it. That's it. And it looks like they're focused on themselves. To other people, people kind of roll their eyes like, oh my God, that's pathetic. Mm. Look what he's doing. Got it. Well, let's talk about the other guy that I, that I want to address. The guy that's been doing okay. He's on a plateau. And he, but you know, this is the end of the cycle of this, whatever this creative part in his life is. So the, the, the term is, I want to reinvent myself. He says that I want to reinvent myself, but he's afraid yeah. to transition. He, he's, he wants to, you know, he's got a, he's, he's got that competing commitment to, to stay safe. He's got a lifestyle. He's got kids, et cetera, et cetera. But he's also not doing something that, that lights him up or that he really feels engaged in. So how do, how how can we help somebody navigate that where he he can reinvent himself and you know work with this competing commitment? Well, first of all, I want to I want to show that person how big a role cowardice and self pity are playing in his life. How huge a role those things are playing in his life. Just abject cowardice. Now you don't want your children to see that. And you cover it up by saying, oh, I want to keep my children financially safe. I want to keep my family safe. So I'm not going to do what I would really be daring to do and I really want to do. And you cover it up with that story. Well, I never buy that story because you can always do both. You can always keep everybody safe and go for it mm. if you really understand what's going on. But the real problem here is the person's afraid to go for it. It isn't that they're afraid that if they went for it, they would lose all this mature security they've built for themselves. That's the cover story. Hmm. That's not the real story. I had a client who always wanted to do a certain kind of writing, and, and uh, but he was so afraid to leave his day job. And I, I said, well, why do you have to leave your day job? Don't tell yourself the story that the only way to write is to leave your day job because you're lying to yourself. If you wanted to write, you'd be a writer. You, you wouldn't have some story about why you haven't been able to do it. Hmm. So I have people come to me all the time and say, I want to be a public speaker. I know that you give a lot of talks. And so I want to learn how to be a public speaker. I want to be a public speaker. And I say, okay, so where are you speaking now? Oh, that's it. That's my problem. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to get speaking engagements, so I'm not speaking anywhere now. Mm -hmm. So I say, well, then you don't want to be a public speaker. So don't say you want to be a public speaker when you don't want to be one. Because anyone can talk anywhere. I mean, if you really wanted to be a public speaker, you could speak every day of the week. If you have even a moderate-sized community. Yeah. They have meetings all over the place that if you went in and said, um, I have a 15-minute talk on goal achievement, I'd love to give it to your group as part of your upcoming meeting that I noticed you have Friday morning, they'd say, sure. I know they'd say, sure, because I used to do that. Mm. I spoke every day once I chose to be a speaker. And so it's really just a small mindset that they, is it that they paint this picture? I, can, I can't be that guy, they, whoever that is, whether it's Steve Chandler or whomever, uh, because I've got this thing over here, but they're, they're not looking at what's the next step. What's the thing right in front of me? What, what's at the yeah. core of it? What's the essence? I want to speak. I want to find a way to give a talk. 
Okay, well then, yeah. how do I start doing that? Uh, and so it's like just bring it back down to what's the thing that I can do today. Exactly true. Is what's the necessary required action? See, everything that you picture in front of you has a necessary required action for you to get there. That's point one. Point two is you know what it is. Mm. Even if I have to beat it out of you. <laughs> or use waterboarding. Waterboarding. That's a good, that's a good, I've heard that's good. Waterboarding is, is a great thing uh, to help people reinvent themselves. <laughs> <laughs> is that why you like to work in person with people? You've got a crew and you get yeah. to take them in a dark room and do that? Yeah. Well, no, I, I won't say that I've done that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I got my start in psychological warfare. I'm aware of that. I'm yeah, and it really woke me up to um, how people change quickly. You know, it's like my hero is the British philosopher Colin Wilson, uh, and he's written over 50-some books. He's really brilliant. But one thing he says about depression that I love was, if a, per if a person's problem is depression and you have a depressed person, the fastest way to get them over it is to throw them down a flight of stairs. I promise you, by the time they reach the bottom, they're no longer depressed. Now, they might not be feeling positive about things, but depression is no longer what's occupying their mind. They've shifted the mindset. It has shifted. And it's probably a better mindset, because it might be revenge, it might be fury, it might be a character Vin Diesel can play now. <laughs> It's got some range but to it's it. it's better. It's better. Okay. Well, what's one thing a guy could do today? Even if, if he's in this place and he's been looking around like, you know, what can I get? Um, what, what, you know, why isn't anything coming to me? These types of things. What's one thing that he could do today that's going to help him uh, get that anal thermometer out and start to make a difference? The first thing is stop pretending you don't know what it is. So, so when I know that my client, the people I coach, when I know they're really not telling me the truth, is whenever they say, I don't know how to, or I don't know what to, or I don't know who to. I don't, I'd like to do this, but I don't know who to call. That's one lie. Mm. Or I'd like, to, I'd like to be that, but I don't know what to do. That's another lie. Or I, I'd like to do this, but I don't know how to do it. Lie number three. So those are all lies. Mm -hmm. And that's weird. So, so the problem isn't the how to or the what to do next. The problem is the want to. Mm. It's the choosing mechanism where I'm choosing to do it. Does that have to be greater than the fear? Is that what tips the scale? No, because no, it, it can be cultivated. It can be tiny. It's like, let's say I have just a tiny desire to become a professional golfer. I just sort of have a fleeting you know, on the passion scale, it's a two, but I'm willing to experiment. Okay, so if I choose to become a professional golfer, it's just a choice, then I can move the two to a three, and I can increase my love of the game and my passion for it, and I can move the three to a four, and if I stay on the path, I can bring my love and passion for the activity way up there. But most people believe they have to have that first. They think, um, you know, I thought this. I don't have a passion for anything, therefore I can't go into any field. 
Mm. Well, that was, I had it backwards. The reason I didn't have a passion for anything was that I hadn't gone into anything. I had it backwards. Well, I'm just getting like, I haven't invested in it. I haven't, I haven't risked anything. I haven't stuck my neck yeah. out. I haven't, I haven't done the work. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Steve Chandler, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed this. I don't know if we've had anyone this direct and, and, uh, and especially anyone that's, that's alluded to waterboarding on the show. So I, I appreciate you bringing it. Um, I appreciate you sharing where you've come from. It's not just some idea. This is something that you've lived. Um, and it inspires yeah. me to uh, cut the shit in my own life and, and be more direct too. So Excellent. where can we learn more about you and your offerings? Well, uh, stevechandler.com. Just go there and there's a whole bunch of free stuff I give away. You know, I don't really want anything to buy, anyone to buy anything of mine. That's foolish. <laughs> you, you, can, you can read my blogs and there's all kinds of free audio and messages you can sign up for and, and get all that stuff and you'll get everything I teach if you do that. Don't buy anything unless you have to or unless it's a tax write-off. Okay. All right. SteveChandler.com. Uh, Steve, thank you again. All right. Thanks, Trip. There's so much more to The New Man than these interviews. So visit thenewmanpodcast.com and join the mailing list so you never miss another update. Thanks for listening.